Welcome to Heart to Heart Conversations, the podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Etzel, and together we'll get out of our heads and into our hearts. These deep and meaningful conversations are meant to crack open our hearts, expand our worldview, and cultivate compassion. I truly believe world peace and unity of all people is possible, and it all starts with a heart-to-heart conversation. We are back for another heart-to-heart conversation, and I am so grateful to have Carrie and Laurel here joining me. And the minute I met Carrie and then through Carrie met Laurel, I knew it was just a matter of when I was going to have them on the podcast because their story is so in alignment with my mission here of letting people know that they aren't alone. Whatever they are going through, there are people out there either going through it now or have gone through it and are on the other side. And so with that... um, I would just just love to open it up and and for you to share kind of the the story behind the glory of of what happened in your life such that now Carrie you're working on vision and Laurel you're up to big things creating a family. (laughs) Do you want to start Laurel would you like me to? Yeah I can start for sure so to kind of give background on our family we lived in Colorado most of my life well all of my life um and it was the four of us. It was my mom and I, I had an older brother. I was two years older. And then my dad, of course. Um, so very picturesque, if you will. Um, and then it was six years ago in July that we lost my dad by suicide. So obviously that shook our world entirely. I mean, it came out of absolutely nowhere. It was something that really we were not super familiar with. I don't think most people are, but it was something that you would have never guessed would happen to our family or my dad, especially. Um, so started going through that process, which we'll talk, you know, a lot more about. And then three years after we also lost my brother by suicide as well. So unfortunately more familiar with what that looked like because of what we went through with my dad, but of course, again, we're very blindsided. Um, and it just started this long journey of really trying to figure out where we go from here, what we do with this, you know, those were absolutely not our first thoughts. It's not that we were like, oh, we're going to use this for a purpose. I mean, it took a really long time for us to get to where we are now sitting here with you talking about it and using it for a purpose. Um, But a little over a year ago, actually, we're coming up on a year in November that Mm -hmm. we launched our book um, that we decided we wanted to tell our story, but not just to talk about what happened to us for people to feel bad by any means, but for people to use it for their own grieving journeys and to help other people. So it's, it's been a long, long road and it's definitely crazy to look back on all of that now. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. So um, just to clarify, Laurel is my daughter. Cause I don't know if we said that up front. So this yeah. is our story. <laughs> um, I know we look like sisters, but <laughs> right. <laughs> just kidding. A little levity. Um, so yeah, so Laurel, I think pretty summed it, pretty much summed it up, Marissa. We've been through a lot, and you know, it's been <clears throat> uh, quite a uh, change in how we saw our life, wh- what it was going to look like at this point. My husband and I had been together for um, over thirty years. We'd been married for thirty years, dated for five years before that. We started dating in high school, um, and then we had Cole, my son. 
um, seven years into the marriage and then Laurel two years later. And so, you know, we had a really, like Laurel said, a really great, great life. We grew up close to where my husband and I went to high school. Laurel and her brother went to the same high school Ross and I did. Um, it's like Laurel said, it was pretty idyllic. And you just, sometimes things just come out of nowhere. And we, of course, were, like I said, blindsided twice. And then Laurel and I last year just decided it's almost been two years now since we, since we started talking about writing the book. Laurel, I thought about that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so here we are. We're getting asked to speak a lot about it because suicide, of course, is a, a huge epidemic and growing, especially this year. Um, and we just felt like it was time that we started talking to people about what it had looked like for us and how we might be able to help. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think so often, right, people, part of that, like being alone and you're suffering in silence, how would people know? It is kind of still a taboo topic of talking about mental health and suicide and all that's involved there. And so maybe looking back on your journey, what would you say for folks who have an inkling that one of their loved ones might be dealing with something in this arena? Like, where do you turn to? How do you, how do you approach them? Well, one thing I'll say, sorry, mom, just not me to cut you up. But one thing I'll say to begin with is that I do think that this needs to become a conversation with families from the get-go. And it wasn't to say that, you know, we did anything wrong as a family that we didn't talk about it a whole lot, but it, it wasn't really a thought kind of a thing. And, you know, like I said, there's nothing wrong in that because you don't want to be having those tough conversations. But I think if anything, if we can share this with people to start having those conversations just about emotions really and dealing with that and and knowing that's okay to have those kind of emotions but when you do get to that place or feel like a family member may be there I feel like people really tiptoe around trying to have that conversation and I know that that can be really hard but it totally needs to start being that open not taboo thing which I know can be difficult but if we can make a difference in that that's going to be huge we hope yeah I think the big thing is, is that first thing is that you don't want to think that your loved one is having those thoughts. So a lot of times people will back away from asking those questions because they don't want to even think that it's a possibility. And I know for both, well, with my husband, it's it's not like we didn't know he wasn't struggling. He was definitely very... um, unhappy with his job at the moment that he didn't he'd been with the same company for over 20 years. And there were some shifts going on that were getting ready for a merger. He was very anxious about what would happen after the merger. Um, and so it was a lot of him going through kind of an identity crisis around what would I do if I didn't stay here or they let me go. And <clears throat> uh, shifts in our lives, the kids had grown up and you know, moved out of the house. His parents had both died a few years beforehand. And so I just think he was going through a whole lot of, I don't know what my future looks like kind of thing. And I was very aware of that because we talked about it a lot about what was his vision since I am the vision expert and known for that. Um, and knowing that he was just really struggling with that. But in my mind, did I ever think that he was thinking about taking his life? Absolutely not. Um, I thought if anything, he was gonna become really ill or have a heart attack or something. So it never occurred to me, Marissa, at that point to ask the question, 
are you thinking about something very, very dark? Going back now in hindsight, you know, it's always 2020 looking at it. I could have easily asked that question, um, but it wasn't a thought because it never had affected our family in this way at all. When Laurel and I would have never thought that he would have taken his life. With my son, obviously, because we'd been through it already, again, knew he was struggling, was helping him go through, again, some shifts in his career. Um, and he was really trying to figure out his own vision too. But Laurel and I would both agree in saying, being that we had already been through this before and Cole knew how it affected our family, we really never thought he would ever think about it either. Um, so I guess what we have to first and foremost come to is, even if you can't fathom it, if there's something going on and you are seeing somebody that's been struggling for a long time, it's worth asking the question. And hopefully they will be honest with you. I don't know that my husband or my son would have been honest if we'd even asked the question um, because they were working so hard to cover it up and still function. But we are, we are in a world now that even, even this was three years ago, it's so different now than it was three years ago. It's so prevalent. Um, everybody we meet right now, Laurel and I, pretty much have, has been affected by this in one way or another. Yeah, and I think that's why it's more important now than ever to be talking about it, right? Is because clearly what we've done in the past is not working. And you did kind of allude to the fact that, yeah, even though we're family, you know, you, you, they knew probably that you loved them. There is almost this element of, well, I don't want to be a burden. I'll deal with it on my own, right? And uh, that is just, yeah. Especially men, which... Um, you know, it's very, very high suicide rate in men in both the age groups that my husband was in and my son and growing, um, especially this year. And yeah, it's just time that, and I'm seeing it. And I don't know if it's because Laurel and I talk so much about it now that we launched the book last year, but it's everywhere. I, I get messages from somebody almost daily that they are struggling themselves or they know somebody who's struggling. Right. And so uh, obviously, you know, it speaks to your story and who you are because you both have opened up about this. And so how do you, how do you speak to someone who approaches you like that? What, what do you say to them? You know, I think it's probably the hardest question that we do get. I, I wish, and it's almost ironic that we get asked sometimes because, you know, if you look at it from a perspective of if we had the answers, you know, we would have known what to do with my dad or with my brother. But again, it's hard to think of that really being what's on their mind to begin with. So it's always hard when we get asked that question because we don't have all of the answers. You know, we want to, we want to have this perfect equation, but you know, I know my mom will touch a lot on this of what she's done for years before we even went through this is such a God thing of that. She's taught people about having a vision because it's always the answer that we tell them is that that it comes down to that of figuring out creating that vision for your life because when you have that you do have hope and we do also talk to people a lot about what's gotten us through it and we allude to this multiple times in our book that it's always been a heavenly perspective you know whatever it is for people that we have always 
had heavenly perspective growing up, but it has grown and changed drastically after going through something like this. And we know for ourselves, at least it would be extremely hard for us to get up daily without knowing that there is going to be a place that we're all going to be together. And that is the ultimate end goal, if you will. And so it's, it's continually changing our perspective to that. And, you know, whatever it is for people of a universal belief or, or, or whatever it is that they believe in of knowing that there is something bigger than what you're facing in that moment. Right. Yeah. We've, it's been, it's been tricky. Laurel and I've had to have some conversations about this most recently because of all the podcasts everywhere we've been speaking now, how many people are starting to follow us and ask these questions. And what I do is say, okay, well, here's the first thing you need to know. I am not a psychologist or um, a psychiatrist, so I can't, I can't deal in that arena. And I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't really talk to the physical aspect of, the, of this thing. And like Laurel said, the only thing that I know I'm equipped to do is talk to them about what's their vision for their life and give them the tools that I have to help them write that find that, find that little ray of hope, um, and, and share our faith because that's, I think the biggest reason Laurel and I are called to do this is that if you aren't connected to something, some belief that you have, that it is going to get better and stop listening to the lies. Cause really what's going on inside their head is a lot of lies that they're not worthy, that their family would be better off without them that it's not gonna get any better um, and it's just all lies. So we have to really keep just pointing them to what we know and that is, is that they are worthy, they matter, they have a purpose and that everything they are going through, there's a plan and a reason for it. And just point them to say, do you have faith in something? Yeah. And I love what Laurel was saying earlier about how you, you and your vision work is totally a God thing. Um, and I see that I, how, yeah, you were doing that even before this happened in your family and you lost your husband and then you lost your son. And mm -hmm. I think it shows how just the power of vision. And I'd love to hear both of you speak about how vision helped you get through that time in your life and to where you are now. Mm -hmm. Well, the vision of where I'm going long-term has always been in place. It just, it morphs a little bit with what's going on in the world, what's going on in our family structure. Um, so I continue to keep doing what I do and which is also changed with how, how um, business looks now because mostly what I was doing was speaking on live stages. And so that's changed a lot. <laughs> Um, and I did live workshops on a regular basis. So now we're having to, as a team, shift all of that and figure out, okay, how do I still keep talking and getting people to something virtually so that I can talk to them about vision? Um, so the vision of what I'm doing now, for the past eight years, Marissa, a lot of it, I organically attracted a lot of um, business owners, mostly female business owners. And so I became known as a vision expert for entrepreneurs which I still do, as you know, but really my heart, especially after everything we've been through, has been to start working with um, young adults uh, because they need this so, so much right now. So as a team, and Laurel's a part of this team, we are starting to create a platform, a curriculum for young adults to help them with their vision, their purpose, 
and some other life skills that they sorely did not get in school. <laughs> so that's the vision of what we're creating now is something that's kind of a little bit bigger platform to start working with a younger generation. I think to a very big piece of my vision that uh, came to fruition just a few months ago was building I don't want to say rebuilding my family. I don't know if that's the best way to put that by any means, but growing our family and, you know, bringing some of those joyous moments, you know, for the last couple of years, most of the big changes were not good changes. Obviously they're very uncontrollable. Um, but I was fortunate enough that I did meet my husband before my brother passed. And so I, I had him through that and I was able to get married a year after Cole passed. And so it was this turning point of seeing that there are still really good things coming and that, um, you know, my son was born just five months ago and, you know, we, we joke about already having another, but that's definitely not going to happen. But just talking about <laughs> just being excited that this is, these are the joyous moments that are starting to come back into our life. And I've always seen that it's definitely not what I imagined. Of course, you know, I would have loved to have my dad and brother be a part of it, but it's just a reminder that there are going to be joyful moments after very painful shifts. And so it's very much for me been about becoming a mom and that being a new happy phase with new good changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is big focus and really, truly, um, a God, God thing that they got married as soon as they did. And, um, that price arrived when he did, it has given us a whole new, new focus of, what this future looks like. And he is 3000% pure joy in this one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, you're speaking about how you and is it Ethan is your husband? Mm -hmm. You and Ethan, um, you were together during when you lost your brother. And then of course, mm -hmm. you know, Carrie and Laurel, you had each other during when you, you know, lost both of your loved ones. And so can you speak more to how that strengthened relationships with others? And then maybe on the flip side too, how you maybe lost some friends who you thought were close. Mm -hmm. Definitely for my husband and I, uh, we have a very unique marriage because of these situations. You know, I don't want to, I try to look at silver lining in certain situations, but, um, and I don't, I, I don't actually talk about this much, but my husband's grandpa actually committed suicide several months before Cole did. And I fortunately was with him that day, which is also another crazy God story that we were not supposed to be together that day. And it was this weird turn of events. And we ended up being the two of us. And I was truly God knowing that I needed to be with him that day. And so when Cole passed, I think he had a much better understanding of what I went through when I lost my dad, because we were not together at that point. And so it really, really grew us to a level that I would have, of course, never hoped we would have gotten there the way that we did, but it has strengthened us to know that when these things happen, we know how both of us react, what kind of things that we need from each other in that sort of aspect. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, you touching on maybe some friendships that have changed. We do talk about this a lot um, in our book. In one of the chapters, we call them our super safe people that we came to realize those people that we didn't have to be anything that we weren't feeling in that moment. We could be 100% us, whatever emotion that was, whatever need that was, and it was never questioned by them. And it's also the people that continually check in on you six, you know, seven, eight years later, whatever it may become. Um, and they just are always, always there. And they're not asking for more from you than you can give. Um, 
there are people along the way that maybe just can't quite navigate it with us and we have loved them through it and they still love us. It just changes your relationship. Right. Um, which can be tough because it's something you don't really think about when you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, we talked a lot about this in the book about how our identity changed because of our family's identity changing drastically and what that meant inside our own family and how that affected us and how it affected them. And, you know, you just can't be the same person when you've gone through something like this and, and the fine, and you can't be the same finance uh, family dynamic. Um, a specific instance was we used to always go to my mother's for Christmas Eve, all the family, even when my in-laws were alive, we all went to my mother's for Christmas Eve. And um, the, the first Christmas after Ross died, I was in Arizona living part-time here with my son and Laurel was in, in school in Oklahoma. So we were not in Colorado as much uh, anymore. But we made the effort, the three of us, to go to Colorado, make sure that we followed that tradition, went to the family thing. And it was probably one of the most stressful things that we did (laughs) because everything had changed. Obviously, my husband wasn't there. And my husband was one of the one of the centrifugal people in the in the family. He was very, very outgoing, very talkative, um, just the light in the room kind of thing. So it was very apparent that he wasn't there. So it was, they didn't know what to say to us. We didn't know what to do. It was just awkward. And so we had to make a choice as a family, the three of us to not go back anymore for that. And it was hard for them to understand that, but it just couldn't be the way it was. So because of that, sometimes you, you end up losing people, not because you don't love them anymore, like Laurel said, or we, or uh, they don't love us. It's just, it's changed. So yeah, we've lost friendships. We've lost, you know, really, really super close people that we thought were going to be there and just, they just couldn't deal. They're going through their own processing of the whole thing. But we have surprisingly have some people that we didn't really know we're going to hang in this long with us and let us become who we were supposed to become. They've, they've shifted with our identity and our family dynamic really well. And the people that we've gained in our life, you know, it sounds like we've lost so many and, you know, it's, it sounds very drastic if you will, but I think when we chose to really open up about our story and to be vulnerable about that, and also to let go of some of those relationships, that was again, not that we don't love them, just kind of releasing that energy. It allowed for the right people to come in for Mm -hmm. us and and for us to be those right people for them as well. And it was interesting how that started to happen, especially after the book got released. It was, we were starting to gain the right people in our life that needed us and vice versa. Right. So I'm realizing we keep saying the book um, and of course it'll be in the show notes, but <laughs> I would love for us to, to talk about what is this mysterious book? What's the title? Kind of what's it about? Obviously it's about your story, but um, yeah, tell us more about the details. So the book is called Keep Looking Up. Um, we kind of went back and forth a little bit on a title, but we wanted it to be something that people can literally do. They can look up if they need to and gain some perspective on how small things really are, but also to allude to the heavenly perspective that we talk about. Um, we decided to have a ghostwriter 
do this process with us. My mom and I are both decent writers, if you will, but it was nice to talk things through. Um, and we also uh, came up with the system of where we were each going to share our own perspectives in each of the chapters. I think that was important because we lost different people. We, it was different relationships, of course, and different places in both of our lives. And then we wanted each of the chapters to end with questions and reflections that people can do themselves. So there are 11 chapters that we focus on, 11 lessons, I guess is the best way to call them, that we've learned through these last six years. Um, and the last one is talking about that heavenly perspective. So it's becoming a tangible thing that people can use for their own struggles. And also if they're helping somebody else go through grief or any sort of loss that they're dealing with. Right. Yeah, we didn't want it to just be, here's our sad story thing. We wanted to, to utilize it because again, Laurel and I get people asking so many questions. You know, how are you staying so strong? Um, what did you guys need? How can we help you? How can we help you? But most specifically, so many questions and people coming forward saying, okay, I have somebody that's going through something and I don't know how to best help them. And so a lot of what we talk about in this book is most specifically the goal was to be able to have people have a tool to understand how you can best support what somebody is going through. And it's not necessarily about suicide. It could be any, any type of adversity they've gone through. And I think that's been the most helpful thing from people, the feedback we've gotten from people who've read the book. Um, they've read it from that perspective going, okay, now I can totally understand what they might be going through and how I can best serve them. Because a lot of times what people want to do is serve you in the way that you'd want to be served. And we do talk about this in the book too. Um, and that's not necessarily what they need. Yep, so good. And I've had the honor of reading the book. And I, I think really what sets it apart is those, uh, I guess you could call them action steps or reflective questions at the end where, mm -hmm. yeah, you're not just reading it. Okay, cool. Put it back on the bookshelf. You're, you're putting it into play. If you're doing it right, you're putting it into play in your life. And right. it is, it, it's, it, I think this heart to heart conversation falls in line with it. it, it it's starting the conversation. It's talking to people. It's reflecting on your own life. Okay. You know, where, where have I gone through grief and how can I go through it? <laughs> this seems odd, but how can I go through it in a more healthy way in the future? Right. Because mm -hmm. I think it's part of life. It's inevitable. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I, I don't believe that people um, quite understand that they, we grieve a lot. And um, it, it doesn't just happen after you, after a tragic loss, you know, you can grieve changes in your life. I mean, I know this sounds kind of silly, but when you enter motherhood, I think it's very real to grieve your past life. I mean, you're never alone pretty much. And it's a great thing. And it can be such a joyous time, but it's a very large shift and you've lost a different way of life that you had, or if people lose a job or they go through a divorce, I mean, that grief happens for us so many times in life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that people put that word on it. And so when they deal with certain emotions, like, why am I feeling this way about something that shouldn't be as big of a deal? And so, like you said, it can become a way that you can have healthier tools to deal with the inevitable changes or the really big ones that you don't expect that are right. gonna happen. And a lot of those questions that you alluded to, um, Marissa, at the end of the chapter are thought-provoking questions for people to think about ahead of time. Um, I had a friend, I have a, a very good friend right now who um, 
her husband is ill and she's starting to, for the first time, start seeing what this might look like with him not in the picture. And she told me, she emailed me last week saying that the questions really helped her to start thinking ahead and start preparing for when that day comes, what she's going to need and how to communicate that to the people who are going to be there for her. Wow. What a game changer, right? Mm -hmm. To be proactive instead of how Laurel and I were in the moment, shocker. And then, okay, we're, you know, having to deal with what happened, having to then deal with, you know, all the arrangements and the memorial service and all these people flooding in that wanted to be around us. And it was overwhelming. And so we learned a lot from my husband's specifically his memorial and how we got through that. When my son died, we set it up a whole different way and we communicated ahead of time to everybody, okay, this is how this is gonna work and this is what we're gonna need and what we don't need. And it went a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I, I, I think I like that concept of being proactive, right? And kind of preparing because like we were saying, change is inevitable and, and grief and all of these emotions are part of life and uh, that to say though I'm thinking even about the current context of COVID none of us could have ever predicted this and mm -hmm. it is taking a lot of us by surprise and some people still what six seven eight months into it we're still resistant and kind of like what is going on mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know so I think that really it a, a huge part of it comes down to yeah like communicating with others and <laughs> knowing that you aren't alone and we aren't meant to go through this alone. It's just talking, speaking up about it. Right. And kind of figuring out how you process things. We learned a lot that I'm very much an external processor, which I'm not surprised by because I am much, I am a doctor, but my mom is much more of an internal processor. And so of course, when this happened, a lot of people kept suggesting you need to go to counseling. You should go talk to this person. You should do this. You should do this. Well, it turned out that counseling was not the best option for my mom. It took me a while to even find a good counselor to talk to. And I did figure out that talking through things was how I process things, but it takes a little while to kind of figure out what that is for everybody. And it's so different for each person. And especially for people, you know, if COVID is a the first really, really big change that they're experiencing, they've probably never had that time to figure out how they're processing, what their, you know, journey of that is. And it can be tricky to to figure out that because it is it's different for each person just like personalities are for sure right i think that's one of the things that laurel and i've learned um you were asking about our relationship and relationship with other people and and we've had a lot of changes in our relationship really fast um you know from being laurel at home and then her moving out and then losing her dad and then losing her brother and her getting married and now she's a mom and we live in two different states and trying to figure that out and we work together. So it's like we, but we've learned a lot about each other, about what works, what doesn't work, how she, what she needs and what I need. And we've learned to really respect that in each other. And that's why this, this works. Yeah. I think it, it does come down to trial and error, a big part of it. And I think that's yeah. what excites me about kind of where this, the shift of where you guys in your business are headed and starting with the younger generation because yeah if we don't start there right like we need to make this change it's past time to be right. talking about this and, and starting 
maybe even the ed in the education system, right? And I see this yeah. way that you guys are presenting of an alternative model, and I would love to hear um, maybe some like pillars or parts of that that um, you think are gonna yeah make a big difference, and that that you're excited about. Um, you mean as far as how we're gonna start raising up little humans differently? <laughs> yes, my favorite topic to talk about. <laughs> um, we definitely have a very broken system and it's been broken for a very long time. Um, our school system has basically become a system of where we take a very authentic, beautiful four or five year old who knows authentically who they are. And then we start conditioning them. We put them in a system that says, yeah, that's really, really cute that you want to be a singer, but guess what? You're not going to make money at that. So we're going to start telling you what you really should be doing, because by the time you graduate, this, these are going to be the industries that are going to have the best jobs and where you can make the most money. And so it's very much a culture that is based on results and achievement and not about you knowing who you are authentically. So there's a lot of people who are talking a lot about that right now, which makes me really happy. Um, in the family, we have generation after generation after generation passing down their own baggage. And we have to stop doing that as well. There is a, a new woman I've started following, Marissa, who I'm totally obsessed with and learning everything she's teaching right now. Her name is Dr. Shivali Savari. Um, she's been on Oprah, she's been everywhere. And she, this is her thing, she, and I've turned Laurel onto her. Um, there's a couple books, The Awakened Consciousness and The, uh, I can't think of this, it's a, a, The Awakened Parent, I think is what it is, or The Awakened Family. And this is what she talks about, about how we need to stop bringing little humans into the world for our own needs and create them to be what we need them to be, not who they are. So like I said, I could talk about this all day long because this is my, my big hot button, but yeah, we just have some changes to be made. So I, for one, and I know the moms with the kiddos at home hate when I say this, the biggest thing I see as a benefit of COVID has been the disruption in the educational system. Yes. And I know it's not easy for these moms right now. I talked on a mom's, on a mom's summit on Saturday and these moms looked so tired. I just wanted to put a, a big hug around them. So tired, so worn out, so out of balance, you know, but I just kept saying to them, you know what, in hindsight, going back, my kids, we were very blessed that they got to go to very good schools, but I had talked about homeschooling them at one point. And I, I kind of wish now I had, but I'm grateful for the system they did go through was, was pretty solid. It's interesting that I actually had a conversation with Ethan, my husband about this last night, talking about how I am thankful that my brother and I were able to go to private school, but there, there were certain things about it too, that were still very systematic. It was, uh, you know, a silly example was their dress code was very controlled. And he said something to me along the lines. He was like, why were they so worried about that? And it never really occurred to me. I was like, why were they so worried about that? I was like, why was that the largest topic? You know, we were able to focus on, we did start our day with Bible study and that was always the main focus. But on the flip side, it was still very systematic of, you're going to dress this way. And it was, it was partially a little bit controlled almost. And I know that there was reasoning behind that, that I'm sure was good intention, 
But it's just interesting when you look back on that, that it's like, you know, I was not the same as the person sitting next to me in class, but we were all doing the same things. And it's just because it's always been that way. And I, I really do think that this year is God making some very large shifts in schooling. And, you know, mostly because of um, my mom starting to talk about this, but my husband and I are already discussing ways that we want our kids to learn and all the different alternatives and a big one being some homeschooling options and him getting more real life experiences for him to figure out who he is and what he's going to be good at and what it's going to be bring him joy ultimately in life that we want him to figure out what that is instead of us choosing that for him or making him wear a certain dress code all the time. (laughs) Yeah. There's a really good book, Marissa called outwitting the devil that talks a lot about how we strip ourselves of our minds, how, um, the control thing is, is wanting to get control of your mind so that you don't think. And when you read the book, you'll understand that this is very much an evil based thing. And um, yeah, it's all just very biblical and very spiritual, but what, and what's happening right now with COVID and all the controls that are being put on us right now, all a part of the prophecy. The book is mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll try and uh, capture those, you know, you the awakened parent and this one that you just mentioned too, and get them in the show notes. I mean, mean, it's no wonder, you know, you look around and, and there is almost, I was telling my mom this the other day of uh, the real epidemic. I mean, I get that COVID is, you know, people are dying and it is a a real health challenge, but I'm like, look around the real epidemic is mental health issues. There's like, Mm -hmm. there is just so much more we should be worried about. Um, Yeah, because like, like you said, the raising little humans, I think that part of, and I don't want to attribute all of, you know, suicides and all of uh, maybe anxiety or depression to this, but I think it's a big factor, which is people don't know who they are. I mean, I just graduated from college and it, it's like, I knew who I was when I was a little girl, but through the education system, it was just kind of, you know, do what you're told, memorization, sit down, mm-hmm. shut up and listen. And yeah. you're not actually listening to you and your heart and what's, what lights you up. Yeah, correct. And, every, and everyone getting the same grades. I mean, if you even look at the grading system of this number that defines you. And I remember thinking after leaving college, I was like, my GPA and the courses I took and what my degree is in this piece of paper is defining more than it should. And yeah. it absolutely should not. I'm thankful for so many life lessons that I got in college. But if I really look at it, I'm like, what the heck? I'm like that piece of paper, you know, does not attribute to what I learned. I learned so much because I left the state and, you know, lived practically as an adult for the first time with friends and tried to figure it out that way. And I learned so much more that way. And it was just interesting to me. I was like, I was graded on a scale that everybody else was. And it's this number now that's defining what kind of job I get. It's just, it's really mind blowing. If you think about it, of how, how systematic and controlled it really can be. Outwitting the devil. I've been quoting that book so much lately because it was all written. And this book was written in the thirties and what's happening now is all in there. So like I said, for, for time, I'm not going to talk much more about it. Cause I know we're, we're coming up on time, but it, it just, I just cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I made note of it. And, um, 
we, we have some some reading to do. Keep looking up, outwitting the devil. We've got the, the awakened parent. Um, this is good. Thank you so much for sharing your resources. And you know, we covered a lot today. And so I, I wanna, you know, give space here at the end for maybe if there's something that I didn't touch on that you would like to speak to, or if there's something you'd like to circle back on, um, now's your time. I think, you know, the message that I say loud and clear is that you have a purpose. You are here for a reason. It is a purpose that only you can carry out. It's unique to you and only you can carry this mission out. What you have to do is take the time to sit down. And this is what I do with people where it says, you know, is I get people to sit down in quiet spaces and really start writing out what that vision is of what they want their life to look like. Believe it or not, and a lot of people don't believe this, but I'm going to say this, is that you can create what you in your heart want to create. You're going to have to go against the grain a little bit. You're going to have to probably go against your family members telling you you're crazy for quitting your job and going into uh, starting your own business, like I heard <laughs> from a lot of people. Uh, and you just need to start following what's going on inside your heart. If there's no accident. It's there. And do not wait because we're not promised tomorrow. And a lot of people wait because they feel like they're not prepared. They don't have the right resources. The circumstances in their life right now are just too out of control. And none of that matters. You write the vision, start taking the baby steps. Well, and to piggyback on that of you saying that we're not promised tomorrow, something that I always have to do to shift my perspective is when I'm stressed about something in that moment, or I have a stressful day or a week or whatever, I always think about, okay, if, if I'm not around tomorrow, for whatever reason it may be, did all of that stuff matter? Was that important? Should I have spent my time stressing about that? I have to continually remind myself because I think as humans, we get very much in that present moment and what our circumstances are. And, you know, people can always say to you, oh, it could be worse. And that is a good thing to think or try to look at, but it's always trying to shift your perspective of, is this going to matter in the long run? You know, mm -hmm. when I'm in heaven one day, is somebody going to remember that? Or am I going to be worried about that stressful day? And it, it continually humbles you because it, you, you start thinking about, man, that's so silly to be worried about like a high electric bill or, you know, whatever it may be. It's so small when you think about it in that moment, when you every day, every second, every hour, whatever it takes right. to shift your perspective back to having a heavenly perspective. Beautiful. Yep. Keep looking up. Looking up. So where can people connect with you? How can they get your book? So the book is um, hardcovers on Amazon. We are working on getting on Audible. It's been a little bit backlogged this year, but it is on several other audio platforms. But to get the hard copy, you can easily get it on Amazon. Um, and if you want to listen to it, whenever you do Google search, or keep looking up the book, all of the audio options pop up as well. So if you'd rather read or listen, you can do either of those. And the um, all the other audio platforms and how to learn more about me and ultimately where Laurel and I will be next and the things that we're doing is my website, just kerryconley.com. And if they want to actually see a recording of me doing a live masterclass to write their vision, they can just text the word guide all in caps to 26786. That will um, open up them seeing me walking people through why they need to have a vision, how to get it in writing, 
Um, so it's a great little exercise. And that also gets them on my email list. So they get updates of workshops and things that I'm doing. I love that. Okay, so you have no excuses. You have multiple ways to contact these ladies <laughs> and connect with them. And thank you again for sh showing up, sharing your heart and just being so open about your story. I know that this is going to impact many. And in fact, if, if you're listening to this, I would love for you to you know screenshot, tag us on Instagram. Um, let us know, let us know your takeaways and how it's impacting your life. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Heart to Heart Conversations, the podcast. If there's someone in your life that would really benefit from listening to this episode, it would mean the world to me if you took 30 seconds to share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, text it to them, do whatever you have to do to spread this message of hope with the ones you love most. Until next time, keep following your heart.